0: It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just
1: a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowells. Welcome back to another episode of Cover Two Broncos. I am Joe Rowells and today I'm excited. I am like genuinely really excited for this conversation. Uh obviously it's Broncos Ravens Week. And there was nobody else I would have wanted to have on the show other than Spencer Schultz. Um, If you do not follow him on Twitter, uh, go do it. He is a published scout. He writes and talks about the Ravens for Baltimore Beatdown. And he is on Twitter at Ravens for Dummies. Um, Exactly like it sounds, except the four is a number. So go follow him. Um, And after you go follow him, keep listening. Uh, So yeah, excited to have you, man.
0: Pumped to be on, brother. I've been following you for a while. Uh, before we just came on and went live we were talking about hey hey you know Broncos Ravens two teams that kind of have some similarities in ways kind of the the classiness of the organizations and the way that they've operated at a successful level for a long time and I've I've always uh, enjoyed the Broncos I enjoy following you on Twitter and I think mile high report is great I, I peruse there occasionally for some reason the Ravens and the Broncos haven't really played in years yeah it's it's so peculiar for teams in the same conferences they've really avoided each other somehow so should be an exciting matchup and i'm excited to talk
1: some ball with you well one of the things i'm really excited about too and like again denver hasn't played anybody yet so this in a lot of ways is like the first big real test for denver baltimore came into the season looking like a super bowl contender i expect you guys again barring injury but i expect you guys to kind of be around near the end um, so this may very well be a preview of a rematch later in the season as well. So it's, I'm really excited for this game for that reason too. Um, and obviously hopefully injuries don't kind of derail either one of their seasons. Cause I know both teams are kind of coming into this in kind of a rough, rough situation, Denver. Um, and again, listeners, you guys probably know this, but just, you know, in case you don't, as, as we're recording this, both of the Broncos starting guards are questionable for this week. Uh, Dalton Reisner, I would think, is more likely to play, uh, but I might be wrong. He showed up at practice today. Graham Glasgow wasn't even at practice, uh, and he missed two weeks ago with a heart issue. Last week, he ended up having what looked like a, a foot injury. Uh, but I know the Ravens, I mean, you guys lost Marcus Peters. Uh, I know you guys just got Rashad Bateman back and uh, Miles Boykin back. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't – those are the kind of the names that, like, first off the top of my head, but also you guys had a COVID thing going on with Detroit. Um, you guys actually have, I think the most players on injured reserve of any team in football right now. And some of those guys are depth guys, but like some of those guys are definitely not depth guys. Um, so kind of, is there anybody that like, is coming back that, you know, of as of right now, I guess not just to kind of start off there. Well,
0: last week, as you mentioned, there was a COVID flare up, so to speak. And the Ravens were without Brandon Williams, obviously their starting nose guard, longtime nose guard, who was at one point the highest paid nose guard in NFL history. Uh, he he still is up there, pretty high. And they were also without Justin Houston, who was sort of a, a really I'm trying to think of the right phrase. He was a really confident signing. He he instilled a lot of confidence into a young outside linebackers room that had lost Matt Judon, Yannick Ngakwe. He performed really well over the first two games. So he wasn't able to go last week. Uh, they also were without Justin Matabike, who I had a really high grade on coming out in out of Texas A&M. And he worked his way after injury in his rookie year in 2020 into a pretty good rotation later in the year, outstanding zone run concept defender, uh, a really strong interior pass rusher. So someone that they miss a lot. So they, they were without some pretty big names uh, in terms of, of guys that they needed. They also have, been without Derek Wolf, who obviously you guys are very familiar with, an outstanding run defender who is so darn good at setting up his teammates, using uh, his his physical prowess and hand placement to free up rush lanes for other teammates. We watched him do it for Von, Von Miller for years. He did it last year quite a bit, and we haven't been able to see him yet. So uh, really they've been without quite a few guys up front defensively. And luckily for the Ravens, they're getting back. We're not sure about Wolf yet. I believe he still hasn't practiced, but Williams, Matabike, and – Houston. The one who's escaping uh Williams. So okay. they'll, they'll, or Houston. There we go. So they'll, they'll be in a, a much better place than they were defensively last week. They are also without Ronnie Stanley,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who has reached a really peculiar sort of uh, fork in the road, it feels like. He suffered a really devastating injury. TJ Watt dives at Lamar Jackson last year. I believe it was week seven or eight and misses, rolls into Ronnie Stanley's ankle, dislocates it, fractures it. And everything in between. So he he comes back and plays uh, the fi- you know, practices the first or the final like three weeks of training camp. Then comes out against the Las Vegas Raiders. He doesn't look like the Ronnie Stanley that uh, played an All Pro level and and got himself a hundred million dollar contract. So apparently he's been in a lot of pain uh, or wasn't a lot of pain as a result of playing. So he's been kind of weighing his options, whether he needs a clean up surgery or whether he needs rehab or or what it's going to be. So they're without him as well. And then Nick Boyle, who's arguably the best blocking tight end in the NFL. So still without a couple guys, but getting some back.
1: Yeah. And the stuff with the defense, I think is particularly important for this matchup too, because it's it's easy to kind of fall asleep on the COVID list guys, because you, you hear about them when they go on the list, but usually unless you're following really closely, you don't always hear when they come back. So that was one of those things too, where I was kind of wondering. So, um, and I know Houston shows up a lot in the first two games. Like, I, I just finished the Detroit game, this like, this morning. Um, and it's a noticeable absence, for sure. Because um, he definitely, like, he takes, the blocking scheme has to account for him. Um, which ends up helping a, a lot of other players, guys. So that's, it's a big thing. And that's one of the reasons why I think the defensive numbers really don't do you guys justice. I And again, I don't know if you know this, Spencer. But I don't necessarily keep up with, like, yards per game, all that stuff. Because I think your opponent matters. Granted, this early in the season, uh, I keep all the football outsider stuff, and DVOA doesn't do opponent adjustments yet. But the, the numbers have kind of painted a picture like the Ravens are really struggling defensively. But it doesn't account for the fact, first of all, you guys have played the Chiefs. And first of all, the game plan that the Ravens use against the Chiefs is much different than what you see in the other two games. Like, you guys are definitely playing with more too, too high safeties. Obviously, you know, obviously, why? Um, But then also the fact that against Detroit, a much weaker team, you guys were missing a lot of key players.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not going to sit here and tell tell you the Ravens have had great defensive performances. Wink Martindale has gone to press conferences and he's put it in, in one of the most common coach speak terms that there is. And he says it very eloquently. We haven't put together four quarters yet. So the first game, Las Vegas, Crazy game, you know, in front of crowd for the first time in Legion Stadium. And they kind of stalemate the Raiders for three quarters. And then all hell breaks loose. Derek Carr starts, you know, throwing up some prayers downfield. Receivers start to, you know, wear down the Ravens' defense. They, they kind of had to adjust their game plan. All of a sudden, they're without Marcus Peters about three, four days before the game, which, you know, throws things off. Jimmy Smith also hurt. So they're without their two kind of calm veteran presences. On the back end, Tavon Young coming back. He's missed three out of the last four seasons with injury. So that was his first game back. He's trying to cover Hunter Renfro. You know, they, they started recognizing, hey, Hunter Renfro is getting loose. So uh, they, they didn't finish well. They they were, you know, blown out basically in the fourth quarter. The Raiders barrage them. Then they move on to the Kansas City game. And they exactly went away from their philosophical foundation of blitzing, of using creeper blitzes, simulating pressure. You know, moving, scheming, you know, trying to, trying to do the whole who's going to come, who's not, you know, the quote-unquote exotic blitz scheme everybody loves to say. So they threw that in the garbage can. They said, we've tried that. You know, it worked. Mahomes rookie year, which I think people forget about. They really stifled him. He threw up a really horrible interception that there was no chief around out of confusion. And he ends up, you know, making a miraculous play that Broncos fans probably don't remember, but Ravens fans do. It was him rolling across his body on fourth and nine, throwing up a prayer. Eric Weddle kind of loses the ball, and then Tyreek Hill goes and grabs it. The Chiefs end up winning in overtime. Fast forward last year, Chiefs kind of just give it to them. And so they said, hey, we're not going to blitz this guy anymore. We're going to keep everything in front of us. Uh, they do let up one deep touchdown on an unreal throw from an unreal thrower in Patrick Mahomes. And then they they kind of stifled them on third down and in the fourth quarter. So they kind of had the exact opposite game script against the Raiders. They get beat up over the first two quarters really badly and let up a touchdown early in the third quarter. Then they end up going, uh, holding the Chiefs to one for six on third down overall and getting out of that game with a win. They force a fumble at the end there. And then last week in Detroit, I thought Detroit just had a really good game plan for what they have. They use their running backs. They use you know, TJ Hawkinson, the Ravens took away. So they started throwing the ball to their backs. DeAndre Swift showcased what the Ravens issue defensively is right now and with a lot of their young defenders, and it's missed tackles. And it's, you know, a lot of Ravens fans right now are very down on guys like Patrick Queen, Tyus Bowser, and some other players. I think they're a little too quick to kind of fail to give credit to players like DeAndre Swift or Travis Kelsey or some of these spectacular athletes that have forced missed tackles, but at the same time, it's been a recurring issue. So uh, the Ravens tackling has been aberrant in many fans' opinions, and it hasn't been great. Uh, Tyus Bowser, I think according to Sports Info Solutions, leads the NFL in missed tackle percentage among all linebackers. He's missed over 40% of his tackle attempts so far. Wow. Not great there. Patrick queen has missed six, two in each game. So, uh, I mean, Patrick queen gets a lot of, a lot of flack, but I think there's a guy down in Tampa named Devin white, who just so happens to play next to a really smart, calm linebacker named Levante. David, you see white, who's probably a even more Supreme athlete than queen, a little more, you know, arm length and some things like that. But, I just look at Devin White's career and and what it's gotten so far, and I see a lot of similarities in Patrick Queen. And if he had a running mate like Levante David, where he could play more of a a run and chase role as opposed to a true Mike linebacker, I think I have a little different conversation about him. But long story short, I think there's some bright bright days ahead for the Ravens, but right now they're having issues tackling.
1: And I'm glad we kind of got to Queen too, because Queen is one of those interesting players in that the Broncos actually tried to trade ahead of you guys to get Queen uh, the year that he came out. And then obviously it didn't happen. And then the Titans ended up taking Isaiah Wilson Broncos didn't trade up and they took KJ Hamler, who now is going to miss this game. Um, but queen is one of those players that if the Broncos had both of their guards, I think one of the things that they would try and do is try and run right downhill at him because I, and again, I actually like queen quite a bit, um, because I think a coverage linebacker is pretty important. And I like the range he brings and I like the fact that he can run and chase, but his size and his block shedding does kind of show up at times and he can be kind of overwhelmed at the point of attack. But the fact that the Broncos may very well be starting Natani Mute in his third start and Quinn Miners, his first start 26th play when the, when game starts, um, kind of puts that a little bit on the back burner in my mind, just because I think the Broncos, if they have the, both those guards in, they're going to almost have to protect them as much as they can. It's, um, I, and again, tell me if you disagree. I think if that is the case, and honestly, regardless, I think Martindale is going to almost definitely bring up a game plan that looks more similar to what he did against Detroit than obviously what he did against Kansas City. Like this is the Broncos have been running a lot of heavier sets, um, so we're going to probably see a lot of three four, um, maybe even some bear stuff. And I think the Broncos like to run play action on early down passing, and they haven't really shown that they can run the ball. Um, against box like heavy boxes. So the Ravens have one of the best run defenses in football right now.
0: They, they certainly do. And that's been kind of a misconception. You look at all the missed tackles. You think it sounds like it's happening in the run game. It's It's been in the past game mainly, but getting Brandon Williams back fresh, getting Justin Matabike back fresh, uh, being able to, to rotate a guy named Broderick Washington, a fifth round pick out of Texas tech, who quietly has been a, a really stout run defender over his first, his rookie year, and then through a couple games this year, had a had a couple nice plays last week in Detroit in a starting role because of the COVID issues. But you know, you're mentioning Natane Muty, and you're also mentioning Quinn Miners, two guys that they like to party, man. They like, oh, to, yeah. they like to pour some syrup and, and lay down some pancakes. I was a big Quinn Miners fan, big Natane Muty fan. Glad to see he's actually healthy. And I, I think you might be underestimating your own backup guards a little bit. Those guys can can wreck it, Ralph, a little bit. So. Will the Ravens want to attack them? Absolutely. Will the Broncos probably want to try to run the ball early and and get some play action mixed in? Yeah. If you look at the Ravens and the Broncos, uh, play action splits, they're actually crazy similar. So, uh, that, that gives a little insight into the other side of the ball before we get there. But looks like the Broncos have run 38 dropbacks and the Ravens have run 36. Uh, the Broncos have completed 25. The Ravens have completed 26. Broncos have two touchdowns on them though. And the Ravens have none, but, um, just gives you a little a little insight into the other side. But, yeah, I think the play action, that shows how important it is to the Broncos. And I've always been a big Teddy Bridgewater guy. I'm glad to see him getting a, a chance to rock it with uh, some a decent offensive line once they're fully healthy again and some some receivers, even though they're missing a couple right now. But I think Wake Martindale is definitely going to try to overwhelm those guards in the passing game in terms of picking up on stunts, in terms of delayed blitzers, in terms of you know showing them a pre-snap look that doesn't look anything like it two steps later once the ball snaps. So yeah. I would expect them to be more aggressive in pass pro, but just trying to be disciplined in the run game and put pressure on, uh, Teddy Bridgewater trying to beat guys like Marlon Humphrey downfield.
1: Yeah. And I would say the thing that makes me most nervous about, cause I, I expect it to be Muti if, if it's only one guard down, um, because he was the number three guard kind of like earlier this season when Graham Glasgow came out, uh, Mute has had some trouble with longer rushers. It showed up in the Seattle game in the preseason and you guys have Calais Campbell, and Wolf does a really good job using his length as well, and so that that's kind of where I'm most nervous as far as run blocking goes. Um, and then Miners, just in general, uh, again, he had a really nice game against the Jets, uh, but in the preseason it was kind of like hit or miss. Sometimes I mean, he's one of those guys like he kind of got in his own way at times, where it just like you, he comes out, his head's down, somebody just like swims right by him, or he just like goes to pull, strips on his feet, doesn't actually effectively like lead. So, and again, like, these are rookie things. But in a first start against somebody like Wink Martindale, that is a concern for me. Uh, but I do agree with you. Like, if if they have to play, they're better run blockers or more proven as run blockers, I think, than as pass blockers.
0: For sure. And you mentioned a couple guys there in the Ravens front. They're veterans, man. And these yeah. are two inexperienced guards. So the consistent hand yeah. placement, the ability to to read keys pre-snap and giveaways or whatever you want to call them. And that, you know, if, if muties lean in or looking one way, they're going to pick up on it. If Quinn Miners is, you know, showing something with his stance, Ravens are probably going to pick up on it more effectively than most. They've got some veterans. Wink Martinell. No, no, no spring onion at all. Uh, he, or spring chicken, I should say. He, nice he's seen onion. it all. <laughs> Anthony Weaver, the defensive line coach as well. Uh, defensive coordinator in Houston last year, former Raven himself. Uh, those guys are having some pretty from, from covering training camp. I haven't been out to practice during the year much, but, they're having some pretty high level conversations on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's Campbell, it's Houston, it's Williams. Then they've got these young guns, Adafe Away as well in the perimeter. They've also got Dalen Hayes, who just went on the IR. Um, but they'll kind of be without. But they've they've been trying to impart the wisdom of a thousand pass rushes on Adafe away as quickly as possible. And he's been a really strong run defender as well. So I think the Broncos are definitely gonna have their hands full. But at the same time, you got a guy like Garrett Bowles, you know, you you've got some headbusters. So it's going to be a strength on strength in ways, and that inexperience might give the Ravens the upper hand eventually. But I think the Broncos will be able to to generate some things, and it looks like now that they have some effective, kind of consistent quarterback play, it's funny how the playbook kind of opens up a little bit in Denver. So
1: It really is. And that's one of those things, too, where last year Broncos fans probably completely forgot what empty sets even look like because after the Raiders game, first Raiders game when Drew Locke kind of had his meltdown, they used it seven times the rest of the season. Whereas with Bridgewater, basically they get around to the thirty, going in and basically empty is every other play, so they're they're completely comfortable using it with Bridgewater, uh, because they know that he's going to be able to find where he needs to go with the ball. Um, Throw hot, he needs to throw hot against the blitz. Yep. Um, Whereas with Locke, it was just not happening. Um, And the thing is with basically with what happened with the cornerback situation, the cornerback situation with you guys. I, I've circled Marlon Humphrey a few times in my notes. Like, he shows up, like, basically against Darren Waller. You guys moved him around to make sure he was on Waller. Uh, he, he's played in the slot. He plays outside. And, again, it shows up. Like, uh, again, by the numbers, uh, the Ravens are actually really good against wide receiver ones, but the numbers kind of have fallen off against the other receivers. So that's kind of one of those things I'm kind of looking to see how the Broncos are going to do because now that they don't have Hamler, the Broncos essentially have Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton – And then the rest of the receiver core is completely untested. Uh, Deontay Spencer is realistically, he's a returner. He's 163 pounds. He's not going to really do much as a real receiver. Uh, Kendall Hinton is making what would be his first start if he starts. Uh, And then they just signed a receiver. So like, he obviously doesn't know the playbook yet. So I'm kind of curious how that's going to go. That's going to be one of those like X factors that you don't really know until, you know, I would think they're going to use more 12. Um, because they have Noah fan Alberto who can kind of serve as a slot receiver. Uh, they also have Eric Saubert who probably one of the better tight end threes in the league, maybe the best tight end three in the league. Um, so I could definitely see that. And, but the problem is at that point, then you're, you're going strength on strength again, because the Ravens like outside of their cornerback room are pretty stout. Um, I think Malik Harrison could be a mismatch for Noah fan or Alberto. But other than that, like you guys have personnel, um, I, I didn't ask you, I forgot, but Deshaun Elliott, he, I know he got hurt in Detroit, and he was questionable at, for at one point, but it looks like he's good to go based on what i He's I've been seen.
0: banged up. He had a concussion in Kansas City, yeah. and then he kind of just pulled. It looked like it was a quad injury. It was listed as a thigh injury, and you can see it on tape. He just kind of starts to slow down a little bit, taps himself on the helmet, takes himself out of the game. So uh, he's, a, he's a bad man, and He's, if he's if he's in the questionable category, means he's probably going to try to go. But in terms of covering tight ends, he's he's really more of their free safety. Yeah, they do move him around. They do some dime stuff. They do some interesting things. But a lot more in the tight ends is Chuck Clark, who's had a really strong year and is quietly one of the most. I would say, you know, maybe not the most talented necessarily or the best, but he's definitely one of the most consistent safeties in the NFL and has done a good job on tight ends in the past. But I think you're spot on, Joe if I've got Albert O and I've got no fan, it looks like they've got a real plan for Albert O. I'm assuming they like where he's at with his playbook and everything with his usage and how they've kind of used him in the red zone a little bit and the goal to go a little bit as well. So I uh, definitely think 12, 22 personnel, things like that are going to be in the cards. And uh, that's, that's a script you want to have against the Ravens. That's, you know, kind of the analytics guys don't love these conversations, but when you're playing the Ravens, especially at home, In mile high, guess what you want to do? You want to be able to run the ball. You want to be able to sustain some drives. You want to be able to take the wind out of their offense because if you let that offense get into a rhythm, they can start putting up points in a hurry. Uh, But they do have a good, you know, reliable defense in Denver that is one of the best, if not the best in the league. And uh, it's it's going to be an interesting game of chess to see how that personnel usually pans out and what they're going to try to do. But definitely Broncos' offense is limited as the Ravens' defense is more at full strength than it has been. And then uh, kind of vice versa on the other side of the football. So it's it's gonna be an interesting chess match to say the least. But I think a very competent quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater is gonna be able to diagnose some nonsense, take some takes lose some battles to win some wars and things of that nature, especially on early downs.
1: And kind of the last chess piece that I want to just kind of and you mentioned him once before, but I want to kind of circle back to before we kind of move to the offense, just because I I, I do think that this is somebody that people are sleeping on in Broncos country. Tyus Bowser. Uh the Ravens re-signed him instead of Judon or Yannick in the offseason. and kind of a lot of people kind of kind of raised an eyebrow at it. But I understood it because he's really good in coverage, and he's also really versatile. Um, maybe not the best pure pass rusher, but he's good on games. He's a good edge setter, and again, like probably the best edge rusher in coverage that I've seen uh, this year. Um, and they use him kind of all over. Like in the Detroit game, he was rushing over the uh, the center. I saw him rushing as a three technique at one point. He plays on the edge. Um, so again, this is one of the situations where if the Broncos are using ex- inexperienced guards, that's a big concern for me. Just because, certainly, has, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah, certainly. Tyus Bowser, like I said, he struggled. My concern, I actually tweeted on August 30th. I said the only concern I have about Tyus Bowser in a full-time role is open-field tackling. I already talked about that, so I don't need yeah. to. But in the Ravens' defense, and I like to point to two other defenses and they kind of have this interchangeable thing where free agents end up going between each other. It's Brian Flores' defense in Miami, Bill Belichick's defense in New England, and Wake Martindale's defense in Baltimore. They ask what I call the trifecta. They ask you to be a three-pointed outside linebacker to set the edge, to be able to bluff and drop back, and to also have enough pass-rushing prowess, and it might not be you know stringing together a, a club and do a swipe into do a swim or some, some sort of elaborate, but to be able to consistently hammer tight ends in pass blocking and also be able to win with athleticism against tackles and just kind of use one move and go for it and stay in your rush lane Tyus bowser does all those things really well i agree i think he really is the best coverage kind of edge player in that category in the nfl he has incredible feet change of direction skill his balance is really strong his ability to click and close and break on balls we've seen him pick off baker mayfield a couple times we've seen him you know he, he actually has had some spectacular games against the browns for whatever reason but strapping up kareem hunt who's a hell of a route runner in the slot uh you know crossing his face knocking some balls away he has a uh, i think the epa against him in coverage is over the last three years is like a minus 22 and i think he's a you know i don't love quarterback rating overall but some people do and i think he has like a 40 passer rating allowed in coverage in his career so Definitely has been a really strong coverage defender and they they lean on him a little more than they lean on guys like Malik Harrison in coverage. He definitely has the strongest coverage skills in the underneath for sure in hooks, in curls, and flats of any Ravens linebacker. So he's a guy that they asked to do it all. He's been doing it all for a couple of years. And I think people were kind of taken aback that they signed him, but they got him for a lot cheaper. They bring back Pernel McPhee and then they bring in Justin Houston and then they also drafted Dafe away and suddenly you feel like they're kind of loaded in the outside outside linebacker room after losing to to BB plus caliber guys in Judon and Gakwe and I, I was a big proponent of them keeping Judon but wasn't in the cards so I think they did a good job flipping the script elsewhere this offseason.
1: And and again I and I, I kind of lied but that that last part you just mentioned about how loaded you guys are at edge is something that I think listeners need to kind of keep in the back of their minds. Because that is one of the other things that makes the Ravens defense really tricky is that they're not necessarily like quote unquote, like traditional in terms of their personnel usage. Where like with the Broncos, you're going to see probably a three, four when they go to nickel, they're going to be a two, four, five. And then if they go to dime, it'll be a two, uh, one backer, two edge rushers and six DBs with the Ravens. There's times you're going to see three defensive linemen. You're going to see two, you're going to see one, you're going to see extra linebackers. You're going to see extra edge rushers at times. They will blitz safeties. They will blitz corners. And again, I'm not trying to do, you know, the the trope of the Wink exotic blitzes, but like he does, he is kind of like in the DP school of like, if they're on the field, I might send them. His,
0: the one quote, maybe of all of Wink Martindale's incredible quotes. And I hope that maybe some, I know that he didn't have a great defense in Denver when he was the DC there, but I'm sure he probably provided some sound bites even that back then. he's a cool dude, a lot of swagger. And He looked a reporter straight in the eye last year when they asked, you know, what, what he thinks about kind of positionless defense and people talking about it. And he said, when we get off the bus, all 11 guys are going to blitz. He truly subscribes to positionless football. They have a lot of similar bodies and some are bigger, some are smaller, but you look at the skill sets between Deshaun Elliott, Chuck Clark, Patrick Queen, Tyus Bowser, they kind of all move somewhat similarly. They kind of all rotate through the defensive front in various ways. Some of them will crash. You know, he'll use safeties to occupy uh, two an offensive lineman and a, a running back in pass pro so that he can have a defensive end loop in. So they want to use as many combinations of unique things in terms of stunts, in terms of creepers, in terms of simulating pressure, overloading one side. They just want to trick the quarterback's eyes. And one of the, I think the biggest misconceptions about what the Ravens want, I don't think they truly subscribe to wanting to get sacks out of blitzing necessarily. Do they want sacks? Yes. So not going too crazy with that. But they really want to force a quarterback to get rid of the ball early. That is their end goal. They want to make you throw at Marlon Humphrey quick. And he's going to press you. He's going to jam you. They got Jimmy Smith, Anthony Averitt. They don't have Marcus Peters, but Anthony Averitt's a hell of a football player. And I think he's going to get a big deal if the Ravens can't re-sign him. I think he'll get pretty surprising money for a lot of people around the NFL this offseason when he becomes a free agent. So they want to force you to throw into the teeth of their high-paid, high-drafted, high-respected DB room very early. And if you don't have the right read and the right throw and the right catch, then they'll get you on third down and then you got to punt the ball or they'll, you'll throw a pick or something of the sort. So they just have a very unique philosophy on defense, it feels like. And it's paid off. They're the number one scoring defense in the NFL since Wink took the reins.
1: I agree. And that's and that's one of the reasons why I've, all, I've long kind of been a fan of the Ravens because of their defense, because it's it's a theory and a philosophy that I really I believe in. I think it's the smart way to play it. Um, so yeah, I, again, this, that's the matchup that makes me most nervous. I think going into this, just because the Broncos offense is in a situation where they're shorthanded and I feel like if anybody can take advantage of it, the Ravens are going to be able to, um, on the other side of the ball though. And this is the side of the ball that a lot of listeners probably are paying the most attention to is obviously Lamar Jackson. Um, and again, like there's the stats to it. Um, I'm not necessarily really worried about the passing numbers because when I watch the games, you can tell right away, like, Lamar Jackson, the way he can run the ball and the way his legs open up the ground game in so many different ways, it functions like an elite passing offense. Like the Ravens rushing offense really does. It's as efficient as a as a good passing offense is. And that's scary. And then also on top of that, he he's able to throw it downfield accurately to punish you if you're going to overload it. And a lot of people get caught in this idea that Greg Roman runs a simplified passing scheme and it might not be the most complex passing scheme, but what it is is they know what teams are going to try to do to stop Lamar. And they have a lot of things built in to be able to punish you for it because Lamar Jackson ends up drawing a lot of cover three and Greg Roman has a lot of cover three beaters.
0: Spot on. He does. The Ravens like to spread the field out with their routes and force zones for individual defenders to be much larger Than they would be against other teams so that you're covering a great deal of space. They have a quarterback that extends plays a quarterback that Lamar Jackson This is, this is, I think the biggest way to tell if your defense could be in for a long day in the passing game is if he is stoic in the pocket and confident and poised, he will make you pay downfield. And if you want to sell out to stop the run, that means that you're probably not pinning your ears back and getting after it. The Ravens are going to use six-man protections. They're going to, you know, run play action where they're pulling a guard to go kick out an edge so that their right tackle, if they don't feel great about Patrick McCarry or whatever, you know, Patrick McCarry will come inside, then they'll have their left guard go pull and hit Von Miller so that he can't get a quick path to the quarterback. So they do some interesting things. Their play action scheme is built up very well. And Lamar Jackson pocket management is basically what makes him have a good or bad day in the yeah. past game. It's when he feels confident in the pocket and when he feels confident in his offensive line. We see last week against Detroit was, was a rare occasion where his offensive line wasn't great. Uh, they were okay. They definitely lost quite a few reps. But some, once he gets into a rhythm in terms of feeling comfy in the pocket, he will make blitzers, he'll make pass rushers miss without looking at them. And then he'll step up and flick his wrist. The ball cuts through the air and he'll make you pay downfield. The problem is the Ravens, again, it's like Wink Martindale says they can't play four quarters on defense. It's like they've had this issue, especially with Hollywood Brown, who is getting kind of ripped apart right now for having the worst game of his career.
1: To your point with Lamar, that was one of those things that jumped out at me in the Detroit game probably more than the first two, is there's times where there's bodies around his feet, and he just kind of like dances over somebody, and it it looks so effortless because his eyes are downfield. He's not even looking at them. And he just kind of like steps, and all of a sudden he's he's still alive. And the the problem with Lamar is when that happens, if you have two edge like if, if Von Miller misses and ends up on the ground, all of a sudden you don't have Von Miller, and he either can pass or he could just scramble around, and Von Miller's not in pursuit anymore either. So it against Malik Reed, that is definitely a huge concern of mine. Um, there and again, I I don't know how these narratives happen. Sometimes it's just Twitter, but the idea that Malik Reed's been healthy, you know, this whole time, and Bradley Chubb's been hurt. So a lot of fans are starting to get this idea that Malik Reed's better than Bradley Chubb. And again, I love Malik Reed. He was a player that I I called him the Philip Lindsay of this year, the year he came out, because I knew he was going to probably be pretty good. And he has been, but that said he has limitations that I think a lot of fans kind of overlook because you look at the numbers and the Ravens are one of those teams that are going to be able to exploit it. First of all, like this is, you know, beyond the point, but like he doesn't have the same kind of play strength. Bradley Chubb has, and against a gap schemes that really shows up because he can get overwhelmed by double teams. He can get blocked in. Um, and it just – it it showed up against Buffalo the, the last two years. I expect it to probably be a thing against Baltimore because Baltimore runs one of, one of the better power schemes in football. Um, but beyond that, um, he's had issues keeping his contain. Uh, it's been better this year, but that that did show up against Josh Allen both times. The Broncos have played them in recent years. So that is a huge concern for me as Malik Reid against Lamar.
0: For sure, and I, I believe Josie Jewel is questionable as well. If I'm not he's mistaken, out.
1: no, he's out. Uh, he's it's Ju- out. Justin Sernat will be making his second start. Um, Wake Forest, correct, Justin Sernat. Wake Forest, yep. Um, and he, again, he looked really good last week uh, against the Jets. Uh, but again, the Jets are not the Ravens. Um, but yeah, he looked like a good run defender. Looks comfortable in space. Definitely fl- more fluid than his athletic profile kind of like hints at um he's had missed tackles in the passing game both games the last two weeks so again that is a big concern against lamar jackson and the running game that the ravens are going to run so that is i think the ravens offense is going to test the broncos depth players unlike anything that they've seen to this point uh justin sternon malik reed and then uh patrick Sertan. um honestly um and I, and again i think sir Dan's, i think Sertan is up to it um i do wonder about it just because he's this is going to be a test and it's a quarter. It's the best quarterback he's faced so far in the NFL for sure.
0: Yeah. And targeting a player in the run game, the Ravens are able to kind of navigate. They have so, such a wide variety of concepts that they can target perimeter players and force them to be guys that come up and make plays in the run game. So attacking some inexperienced players and an inside linebacker that doesn't have a ton of experience as well as Sertan as well. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. The X factor for me on the Broncos defense is going to be AJ Alexander Johnson. He is a madman. He will come downhill. He will fill. He will chase. He has the explosive athleticism. He can do it all. He can shut down some RPOs, things of that nature. He he can be all over the place. So if he isn't able to have a strong game in the center of that defense that's missing some bodies, that is kind of the the cookie that could crumble the Broncos defense. If he's not able to have a B, B-plus, you know, A game against a, an offense that – Vic Fangio's, you know, familiar with, uh, you know, it's Greg Roman, it's Vic Fangio. They've, they've gone head-to-head quite a few times, but these players haven't necessarily seen it, and it's a little different from, from what the Broncos play against in a consistent basis. I, I guess kind of the Chiefs use a lot of RPOs, which asks you to, to have a lot of disciplines and things like that, but um, I, I believe that it's going to be a, a tough assignment for Sernad and for Sertan and for a lot of inexperienced players that haven't seen this offense to go up and play, make plays in the run game. But Ravens don't have Dobbins. They don't have Edwards. You know, they're, they're trying to get these backs involved. But right now it's a little bit more the Lamar Jackson show. Uh, they do like Tyson Williams a lot. I like Tyson Williams a lot. Uh, really effective runner, whether it's power or zone, which fits the Ravens well, being kind of a hybrid run scheme. And a guy that they – haven't given a terrible amount of touches to yet. They, they like to use Latavius Murray, the veteran. He's got good ball security, so he can run downhill and get you some short yardage gains. But uh, ultimately, you know, they they use a lot of power. They're, they're mixing in a lot more zone, especially a lot more inside zone, yeah. which is something that they weren't able to do last year with the interior offensive lineman they have. They go out to get Kevin Zeitler. They slide Bradley Bozeman from left guard to center, where he was a natural center coming out of Bama. I don't know why he ever played left guard, to be honest. But then they also have Ben Powers and Ben Cleveland, to really aggressive types uh, in the run game that are just all bigger guys that are a little stronger, and they can go combo block, fill space, move bodies, and reach the second level and seal it off. So they're, they're mixing it up a little bit more than they were able to last year, which is uh, a, a good sign, but not having those backs definitely hurts and limits what they can do, having guys that you don't necessarily trust as route runners or in pass pro as much without enough reps yet.
1: And I'm glad you mentioned the line though, too, because the Ravens will mix in six offensive lineman looks and, and again, this is one of those things. that's going to be a part of the test for the Broncos depth is the fact that the Ravens can run their rushing attack out of so many different personnel groups. So basically what they'll do. And again, with, with how they do it with the gap concepts for listeners, they overwhelm you at the point of attack with numbers. Like they pull a guy across or they'll have Lamar read. And then all of a sudden you're outnumbered at the point of attack and you have a guy that has to stand up a double to have a chance, or he has to make a tackle on Lamar with Green Grass behind him because everyone else is accounted for. Um, and that's one of those things that's definitely, again, that's probably my biggest concern for the defense going into this game because they haven't, basically since Fangio's been a coach, they haven't played anyone like this, obviously. And granted, Jackson's unlike anybody else in the NFL probably in this regard. But, like, they haven't played anybody even close. Um, and, and I know I mentioned this to you before, but, like, counter bash for our listeners, like, It sounds unfamiliar, probably, because, again, no one else really does it. But the Ravens do it a lot. They run a clinic on it, and they're – I mean, it acts like an an explosive passing game because you have to account for what's happening with Jackson. But also, if you overcommit to Jackson, they punish you on the backside of it.
0: Yeah, they run power concepts and use Lamar Jackson as the runner, which doesn't happen often in the NFL. They also run Veer, but Counter Bash is just – a play that makes your eyes tell lies as a defender it is essentially a, a lose lose where the best case scenario is that a running back has the ball and a little bit of an advantage angle wise one on one with the defender on the perimeter is probably the best case especially considering they don't have Dobbins or Edwards right now yeah. so it feels like they don't hand the ball off enough necessarily in those situations but right now it's it's you know they they're a little hesitant to really lean into Lamar early in the season to, to run the ball. It feels like especially last week, and that was kind of the Lions game plan was to make him beat them over top, which kind of didn't do because receivers drop balls, but it depends on, on what you want to do and talking about Vic Fangio's defense is going to be too high. And the advantage of too high in the run game is that you've got two safeties that can both get to the perimeter. So you would expect the Ravens to maybe attack downhill a little bit more as opposed to the perimeter. But Again, that counter bash is going to be where you pull you know, a a GT pull, which could be the left guard and the left tackle, or it could be the center and the left tackle, usually the the GT, the guard tackle. A lot of times to the right, for whatever reason, the Ravens like to run it to the right. I think it's kind of some weird after effect of Marshall Yonda, which he's not there anymore, but they still run it to the right. But it basically gives Lamar Jackson a numbers advantage and a convoy versus him having a running back cross his face, and the running back is going to be one-on-one with the defender. So – if there's any lack of discipline from that weak side edge defender that is away, or if he crashes, the running back is gone and is probably going to be six yards upfield with a one-on-one with the safety. Then there's also going to be the aspect where the Ravens suddenly have seven guys to coming through three gaps on the right side, which, you know, if you've got five or six, that's a damn problem. And suddenly again, Lamar Jackson is in space with someone, which is never a fun idea playing defense to see that number eight emerge high stepping a little bit and, you know, getting a little jerky turkey in the open field. So uh, if you're not disciplined, you're you're toast is basically the moral of the story. Greg Roman's offense does everything it can to make your eyes lie to you, to say, I'm going to chase this puller because that is what I have been told to do my entire life, and the ball is going away from the puller. There's false pulls. There's play action based off of it. There's all kinds of things. It is not a fun defense to play against as a linebacker at all for that exact reason.
1: And that's why with you mentioning Alexander Johnson, I think him holding up to that is going to be a huge part of like, if the Broncos defense can really survive it just because I think Sternod's going to have his good plays, but I think he's also going to have some mistakes just because this is the first game dealing with anything close to this for him. Didn't play at all last year. So again, like he's very, very inexperienced and this is going to be a game where your eyes are going to lie to you. Um, I want to bring up the tackle situation a little bit. You mentioned Stanley already. So like, I don't want to, you know, make you have to repeat it. But Alejandro Villanueva started the season as a right tackle. Broncos fans might remember him as the Steelers right uh, Steelers left tackle in the past. Um, But since he moved over to left tackle, I know he kind of struggled in the Raiders game a little bit. Um, But when he moved over to left tackle, he looks, I mean, maybe not the best left tackle in football, but he's definitely competent. Probably the best left tackle the Broncos have played this year. Um, and uh Macari on the other side i think is a little bit more of a question mark but i think the ravens do a good job of protecting him so i don't necessarily know if von miller is going to abuse him like he was able to do in the first three weeks to teams so again like and then the the rest of the line is decent like this isn't the jets i guess for broncos fans because like and again dear listener probably understands this like it's not all about sacks um, people tend to overreact if the Broncos don't end up coming out a game with four or five sacks. And it's like, I don't think this is going to be a game where the Broncos have a lot of sacks.
0: Yeah. So Villanueva, his initial comments, longtime Pittsburgh Steeler crosses the fence, joins the Baltimore Ravens and was brought in to play right tackle, which they exclusively had him at the entire off season. Didn't take any left tackle snaps. Suddenly Ronnie Stanley can't go and he's back to his natural position. He got his butt whooped in week one, playing on the right side. A lot of it was not knowing where his set point was and where, you know, kind of where he should have been in terms of steps, how many kick slides he's doing to go try and attack or, or where he should have been. So he was giving up some pretty easy rush lanes of Max Crosby. who had a nice day with him. Then they flip into the left side and he just looks like a natural and it's been ironic. And I'm not a person that, you know, I don't. I don't love PFF. I don't hate them either. I, I actually tend to agree with their offensive line kind of grades a good bit. It usually kind of if they say somebody had a good day and I watched it, I usually tend to agree for the most part on on that. And as well as at receiver, but they graded him as a as, as a really high run blocker so far. He is one of the top run blocking tackles in football right now, which is a complete opposite of what he was in Pittsburgh. And that's a team. The Pittsburgh's a team that you know drops back forty times, has a very kind of anemic run game a very vanilla run game a lot of the time and he was really excited he was outwardly excited to come to baltimore and be a part of it he has somehow the ravens managed to get the one tackle that has longer arms than orlando brown to replace orlando brown and you can tell that he is getting more comfortable using his length in the run game than he's ever been in his career which is ironic because he's 32 years old now but he has been snatching and trapping guys left and right in the run game a linebacker is trying to come the linebacker knows that he's long and he's a big you know blocking out the sun so they want to get their arms out early and try and win initial contact and he's just coming right over top smacking their forearms down and then burying them into the dirt uh he's been awesome in the run game he's gonna lose he's gonna he's you know he's six foot nine he has trouble if you play beneath his belly button you're gonna give him trouble um he he can get turned around a little bit sometimes he can have his back kind of parallel with the sideline, which is never a good thing as an offensive lineman, and has some issues, but he's got some tools in his toolbox. He will lose reps, but the Ravens know it, and Lamar Jackson seems aware of it, so he's, he's been able to kind of work with Villanueva, understanding where he's getting beat and how to manage the pocket with it. McCarey is one of the more interesting kind of stories in the Ravens for a while. Outstanding pass protector at Cal. He's about six foot four, six foot five, three hundred pounds, undersized. So he ends up being a UDFA. I uh, very rarely let up pressure sacks at Cal was damn good, technically refined. He has, I think he's in the second percentile of arm length to ever come out. Oh wow. the, you know, to ever his, yeah. his his arms are under 31 inches. Oh so wow so he has absolutely no length. So who's gonna be lining up in front of him? Von Miller. Yeah. is that gonna go well? No, it's not. So to me, it's putting Eric Tomlinson, it's putting Pat Ricard, it's putting Mark Andrews next to him. It's running the ball at him. It's tiring him out. It's, you know, being aware. It's what I mentioned earlier, which is pulling the left guard and running play action and having the left guard cut off Von Miller's inside track and force him to kind of go around. That's, that's an interesting thing that Von Miller could, – I could see him being one of the guys who freakishly is able to predict that and have a counter where a guard pulls in pass protection to get him and he anticipates it and is able to, you know, make himself really thin, squeeze his body, sur- squeeze his target surface down and get around them. But uh, if, if Greg Roman doesn't have tricks in the bag to throw at Von Miller, then he's basically, you know, betting on the Broncos or something because you can't just leave McCary out there t- to die uh, yes. against Von Miller. So he's, he's been back. They've been stunting the Broncos have been stunting him like a madman. He's been getting all these free rushes on stunts up the middle. So, that's definitely where the Broncos can win this game is when Von Miller does get one-on-ones and Von Miller is isolated or the Ravens fail to actively give help to McCary. If he can wreck shop, which we all know he can, that's where this game could go really
1: sour for the Ravens offense. How do you feel about the matchups in the passing game for the Ravens versus the Broncos DVs? Uh, That's kind of like the last part of, you know, the offense versus defense that, like we haven't already really touched on i know mark andrews for me is kind of the guy that i have circled holly hollywood is i look past the detroit game again like i i'm not saying that it didn't happen i know it was kind of a rough a rough outing for him three drops, like but but to me like i look at that like catching the ball in in some degree like obviously there's a skill involved to it but also like drops happen like everybody drops passes here and there so like i don't look at that and say yeah he's never going to catch passes again um, to me, I look at that and I say, well, the Ravens, if you would have caught one of those beats Detroit handedly, um, they had, a, you guys had a touchdown that should have happened in the Raiders game. So like, to me, this team could easily be undefeated and easily undefeated, like come out of the chiefs game. Yeah. But, but the rest of it, but also like Mark Andrews to me is kind of the matchup I'm most concerned about in, in part because he's a tight end, but he plays the slot. He's quite good. They use them on crossing routes and the Broncos have had issues with deep crossers. Uh, basically, if Von Miller is not on the field, they're basically begging teams to run deep crossers because no one else is getting consistent pressure without Vaughn on the field right now. Um, They've been trying to use more of Alexander Johnson as a blitzer to try and make up for it. But the truth is like Jonathan Cooper and Andre Mintz, I like them both. Um, They both had decent preseasons, but they're both rookie late round picks who are not really ready for an expanded role yet. And when they've been on the field, that kind of shows up, they don't really do anything. Uh, especially as pass rushers more than anything. So that makes me nervous Um, just because I saw in the Detroit game, like when Detroit runs single high, that's how you guys got them a few times for chunk plays in the passing game.
0: Right. But the thing is Vic Fangio doesn't like running single high very much. I think yeah. he's
1: well, pretty they com- They run a lot. They run a lot of uh, cover six. They'll mix in cover three. But yeah, I agree. They they I would think that they won't do it, but I do know that the Broncos have gotten got by – crossers that's that's kind of like why it's on my mind
0: for sure and that's what the ravens like to do they like to like i said utilize space in the passing game and try and force zone defenders to cover a lot of real estate for a long time and let lamar jackson go float one flutter one over top and make a play or hope somebody blows an assignment but if you want to talk just from a talent and kind of not even just talent but how well a unit is prepared or or how how many missed assignments there are. I mean, the Broncos have probably the best secondary in football. Justin Simmons, top top shelf, what? deep middle of the field coverage defender. Kareem so- Jackson, so under the radar still, even though he's been so good for so long. You mix in Sertan, you mix in Bryce Callahan, who feels like he's still a little underrated. I think he's gotten some love. And then you're talking about, you know, a Fuller brother that I don't know if he's had his best football behind him, but he's still very competent. So it, it's it's a Ravens receiving group that's definitely overmatched. And they're probably going to try to take Mark Andrews out of this game. I imagine they're going to give a linebacker and a safety to him. That is the most common recipe to foil the Ravens passing game. And having Sammy Watkins has been the one step that has been taken to assist Mark Andrews in opening the field up. Because Sammy Watkins will
1: win one-on-one quite a good bit. Yeah. Uh so you you don't this des- this is you know you don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that the Broncos should bench uh, Justin Simmons then, huh?
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, if if they would like to trade him for I think Eric DaCosta has a fifth round pick uh, and maybe maybe a hundred fifth round picks in his pocket, then he would like to uh, shell on over. So if you think the Broncos should bench Justin Simmons, I don't think that. Uh, I, I really don't even know what to tell you that that leaves me at a loss for words. I didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. So uh,
1: that was a bleacher report thing today uh, based on his PFF grade and his tackle numbers is what it, is my understanding. I didn't read the whole thing because I, I try not to read things that I know are trolly. Uh, Cause I, I, again, again, like, you know, it's a small part, but I like to do my small part to not feed trolls. But I do know that that was a huge talking point in Broncos country today. And again, this is coming out on Thursday. You guys probably heard about it already, but it's bullshit. Um, I, and I'll be honest, like, I agree with you. Generally, I do agree with PFF when it comes to offensive line grades, and I think they do a pretty good job with the receiving grades. Um, Most of the time, I like what they're doing with quarterbacks. I tend to agree with it. I usually disagree with their corner stuff, uh, DBs and coverage stuff. They'll
0: be the first ones to tell you. They're not very confident in their grades on DBs, and it's simply because it's just impossible to know what the call was, and if there's a blown assignment, who blew the assignment? And you don't know if you're not there. So offense, you know, oh, they ran an inside zone. I've seen that a thousand times. I know what it's supposed to look like. In the defensive coverage game, I mean, could it be cover four? Could it be cover six? You know, are they running cloud? Are they running buzz? What, what are they doing? So it's it's tough if you're not in there. So, yeah, Justin Simmons, I, I hope that they bench him for this game. That would be awesome. That would be really fun for the Ravens fans and for Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson. If, if he didn't play 100% of snaps, that would be really cool.
1: So kind of a uh, the last, the last part of this um and again this this is I am kind of curious where you land on this from like a philosophical standpoint. I kind of believe that uh in today's modern NFL offense is kind of like 3/6 of a matchup. Defense is kind of like 2/6 of it in terms of like importance overall. Obviously matchups and all that stuff determine it. But like when you when you kind of but like special teams kind of plays like it's not really a third of the game, it's like a sixth of the game in terms of the overall impact. But Obviously, if you lose that part of it handedly, you can lose the game. Um, the Broncos have been atrocious at special teams since since McMahon's been the head the co- coordinator. They were bad before he was hired, but they've not gotten like marginally better. Like their coverage units are quite bad. Um, the punt return, the one thing with punt return this year that's kind of weird, uh, Mile High Reports' Joe Mahoney told me this. Teams have not returned a lot of punts on them yet. So like the the punt return cover or the punt coverage doesn't look bad yet but in the preseason it was for a lack
0: of context
1: exactly exactly no notably in the preseason it was not good so like i'm still not confident in it granted obviously preseason still you know its own own monkey but the kickoff unit has been a huge problem um basically if they're not getting touchbacks i'm sweating um and on the other side of the coin like the ravens have a pretty decent special teams and they have for a long time. Obviously you guys have Justin Tucker, who is quite simply probably the best kicker in NFL history. Kind of, do you, do you expect that to be a noticeable like advantage in your, your favor? Devin DuVernay is a
0: really dangerous returner. He is a super North South runner and is not, he didn't really return a ton at Texas, but he had such strong open field skills, has track speed, He's, you know, 5'11", over 200 pounds, thick in the thighs, got a little booty to him. Man can man can run. He can arm tackles, will run right through arm tackles. And he has absolutely lacks that classic returner. Oh, I want to run one way and then do a speed turnaround. Like, he's going to go right downhill. If there's a seam, he can catch it. If rush lanes are not correct, he will make you pay. He is going, he had a, a, a muff last week. Which actually the Ravens got saved by on a penalty. And then he responded with a 30 yard return right after, yep. where he just gets right upfield, works his way to the sideline without losing speed. He had a kick return against the Chiefs last year where he hit 21.6 miles per hour. Uh, according to next gen stats, the dude can straight up fly, is what I'm trying to say. And there's no indecisiveness about it. He catches the ball, looks for one second, and then pedals on the floor. So, um, yeah, it, it, that can definitely be a huge issue. The Ravens were. The them and the Patriots were probably the two best special teams teams in the NFL for about two decades. Jerry Rosberg, the Ravens, longtime special uh, special teams coordinator and assistant head coach. Fantastic. Did a great job. Then they had Chris Horton, who played in the NFL for the Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins. He was a Redskin when he played there and was able to uh, be under Jerry Rosberg's wing, so to speak, for a couple of years there. So they still have a lot of the same principles. They still understand, you know, playing really sound special teams football. Uh, they, they I would say there's been a little bit of a drop off, but I'd say it's more because it's a lot of young players on the Raven special teams. But they do still have Anthony Levine. They do still have, you know, a couple veteran guys. That got, and it's guys that have been doing it for two or three years now, a little bit more than rookies and second year guys. So uh, definitely that could definitely be an area of concern. I think Devin Duvernay is really dangerous. They've got Pat Ricard blocking on kicks and he will seal two guys out and create a path that, so you kind of can just go follow him and some linebackers like Christian Welch. And then uh, they'll, they'll cave in aside, give Devin Duvernay an alley, and then he runs 21 miles an hour. Uh, You know, he, he could get a speeding ticket in certain school zones. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see. And the, the best, best thing about playing at home for the Broncos, is they can probably kick that ball out every single time if they want to.
1: And that's my hope. Um, and then the other part of this is the Broncos actually allowed a partially blocked punt last week to the jets. Um, and granted the, the jets for all their issues on ta- And as far as talent, they do have a decent special teams, but yeah, the Broncos blocking up front on punt has also been kind of problematic. And again, they may very well be missing two of their players for this one. So it, it, it is a concern. Um, kind of like my last question. I know I'm keeping you kind of the, the, the Broncos win if dot, dot, dot. Von the- Miller
0: takes over. I think uh, if, if Von Miller takes over and if the Broncos secondary just plays a, a consistent, you know, if, I think up to their standards, the Broncos secondary plays an average game. And if Teddy Bridgewater doesn't turn the football over, I think those would be the three keys. Teddy Bridgewater playing, you know, competently. Taking what the defense gives him. A lot of times that's gonna be dumping the ball off the backs and against the Ravens defense. They they want you to check the ball down and they stink at tackling. So it's it's a good idea. Um, and then like I said, Von Miller, if Greg Roman does not give Patrick McCari enough help, that will be an issue. And Broncos win.
1: Ravens win if those three things don't happen, or
0: Ravens win if Lamar Jackson plays with poise. I think uh I think that if he has a calm game and that if those two rookie or those two young guards mixed in with you know it's Garrett Bowles and then some some solid you know right tackle plays solid center plays solid if the Broncos offensive line doesn't really have a isn't able to stalemate enough and if Lamar Jackson just plays poised with confidence and uh plays up to his standards I think the Ravens win but like I said, I think that the Broncos' defense is is probably more talented overall. They are missing some guys, but that back end is really sharp, and Vic Fangio is is no stranger to a Greg Roman offense. So I think we're going to see a lot of chess. I think this is going to be an ugly game. And, uh, you know, Vegas has it close. I have it close.
1: Same. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of those ge- – and again – the the hot take narrative machine is going to be like, if the Broncos lose this game, they're pretenders. They only beat bad teams. They're bad. And it's like, no, like honestly, the Ravens are probably one. If they're not the best team in the AFC, they're one of the two or three best teams in the AFC, in my opinion. So.
0: For sure. And and I think the underrated part of that is like, sure, the Broncos beat up on some, some teams that might not be great, but the Ravens barely squeaked out of Detroit with a win. So uh, it's a game of matchups. You can, you can say that, you know, wins mean this and losses mean that, but, the Ravens couldn't beat the Chiefs for a long time because the Chiefs are a bad matchup. So we haven't seen Lamar Jackson in, in this kind of style offense against Vic Fangio's defense in quite some time. Uh, these teams aren't terribly familiar. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater's ever played the Ravens, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, don't think, don't so. think so. so. I don't think he did in Minnesota. No. I don't think he ever has. So uh, two Louisville quarterbacks. It's going to be in that that mile-high rocking environment. Broncos are 3-0. and That stadium gets loud as hell. And I, I really, ooh, I was close to going to this game. I love that stadium. I love the city of Denver, and I uh, wish I was able to make it out. But two pretty, you know, classic franchises right now that have had success in the AFC over the last 20, 30 years. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun one. I'm, I'm excited. I think that Wink Martindale and Vic Fangio are two of the top five defensive minds in the NFL. And uh, Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater will cover the spread, and he'll keep you in games. So it's, it's going to be a fun one.
1: Great. I'm, I can't wait to see it. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining me, guys. Again, if you do not already follow Spencer on Twitter, go do it. He is at Ravens for the number four dummies. Uh, go read his stuff at Baltimore Beatdown. Go listen to his podcast. Um, and you are a published scout. I, are you doing that again this year? Uh, no, I'm not. I did it with Sports Info Solutions
0: last year. Yep. I have your um, book. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah. So, did it with Sports Info Solutions last year. It was, it was a lot of fun. If, Anybody, I, I love talking about scouting. I love talking X's and O's. I love talking ball in any way, shape, or form. If anybody ever has a question or wants to learn or where to look for some resources to learn about, you know, what the hell a cover six is, or uh, you know, how do you defend against an option run game, or anything like that, my Twitter DMs are always open. Joe, I know. Likewise for yourself, I, I love your content as well. Thank you so much for having me on, and I think we're in for a really fun game. Things gonna be sloppy, but I think it's gonna be fun.